You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. So we're continuing on in our, in our study of, of the, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, last week, uh, we studied Mark 11, verses 1 to 19, and we witnessed the, the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Messiah King, as he entered the gates of Jerusalem to the praises and the shouts and the reverence of the crowds. Remember what they shouted? They shouted, Hosanna! Save us, we pray. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. It was a king's coronation. Jesus, the king, was rightfully entering his holy city on a Sunday. And as he did so, last week we see that he cursed a figless tree And then he cleansed the temple on the following Monday. And he was boldly declaring to all that that he is the the redeeming king, the only one. He is the righteous judge, and he is the only restoring son. And as we remember, Jesus turning over the tables of the money changers and the pigeon sellers in the temple. Remember what he said to them. He turned to them and taught them, including everybody within earshot, and he, quote, and he quoted Isaiah 56, 7. Is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. You see, Jesus came to restore rightful worship, and rightful worship is evidenced by fervent, dependent, expectant prayer. To the only high God, the God of heaven for all the nations. The temple was to be a house of prayer. The church is to be a house of prayer. Jesus came to his father's house of prayer, but all he found was hypocrisy and idolatry. And that temple was void of his powerful presence. Void of true worship. Void of prayer. And Jesus marked that by noting the prayerlessness there. So friends, authentic faith is always marked by prayer, by dependent, expectant, powerful prayer. And so as we begin here this morning, and as we examine our faith, let's ask ourselves, do we believe in a powerful God? And if you do, is it marked by a life of fervent, powerful, expectant prayer. In Jesus' time, prayer was to be at work. And especially after he leaves, prayer was to be even more so at work. As he was about to die on the cross, as he was going to be raised from the dead, and as he was going to return to heaven, his disciples were going to need access to divine power. And so as we return to God's sufficient holy word today, as we return again to the the withered fig tree outside of the temple, outside the gates, Jesus is going to teach his disciples and he's going to teach us 
that we need divine power for the days ahead, and that divine power can only be accessed through powerful prayer. So let's look at the text. Mark chapter 11, verses 20 to 25. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive, if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help today. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, your sovereign hand, that before time, as you knew that we were going to sin against you, you had the plan before the ages. And the plan was perfect because you sent your perfect, holy Son. And Lord, thank you that through your word you have revealed him to us. That you've shown us our sin. You've shown us how we have sinned against a holy, righteous God. But yet through your Son, as you have revealed, you have made the way, the only way, to come back to you, to be reconciled in right relationship, in right worship. As we think of Jesus in the temple and also as he cursed the fig tree, And as the fig tree withered, would you teach us today what it means to trust you in all of your power and how you have planned to use your divine power in your lives. Teach us to pray today, Lord. Teach us to trust you all the more. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So the divine power needed for the days ahead for the disciples and for us today can only be accessed through powerful prayer. And to access that power, in the text today, we're going to see three things, three powerful postures of a praying heart. And the first posture that we see being revealed is that He is Almighty. Jesus is Almighty, and our posture needs to be to believe without question. If you remember from last week, Jesus used a figless tree to teach his disciples about the hypocrisy of Israel, the hypocrisy of empty religiosity, that as hundreds of thousands of Jewish pilgrims were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, this temple that was in place at this time was nothing but a sham. It was nothing but vain worship and idolatry. The city and the temple were outwardly beautiful. They were glorious, but on the inside, it wasn't bearing any fruit. It looked good, but it wasn't bearing spiritual fruit. And so as a shocking example of his divine judgment, he curses a figless tree. He says in verse 14, May may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And it says that his disciples heard it. They were listening. 
It was the very first miracle in Mark's gospel that was deconstructive rather than constructive. And it was pointing forward to the coming judgment for fruitless hypocrisy, and the disciples took note. Even though they didn't fully understand that all of this is going to be wrapped up in in Christ's death and that the curtain of the holy temple is going to be torn in two and then in a matter of 40 years, that temple is going to be torn down to the ground and the people are going to scatter all over the world. So that was the ultimate meaning of this curse. But as Jesus and his disciples again cross paths with this tree and as Peter marvels at the withered tree, Jesus has more to teach. He has more to teach from that tree. And his focus turns to prayer. Verse 20. As they passed by in the morning, so this would be Tuesday morning, four days before Jesus is nailed to the cross, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. So if you remember, just the day before, this fig tree was full of leaves. It looked great, but within a matter of 24 hours, it was completely decimated. It was withered right down to the roots, which means it didn't just lose its leaves. It didn't just lose bark or or a few branches. This fruitless fig tree was utterly destroyed all the way down to the roots. It was dead. It was undeniably dead. And it was all because Jesus pronounced this prophetic curse upon it. And the disciples took notice. And so here we see Peter, verse 21, Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. It really happened. As Peter often does, he speaks up First, and we remember the Gospel of Mark is is really the recollection of Peter given to Mark. So Peter here is speaking up, and he often speaks first, and he speaks with great astonishment on behalf of the disciples that the tree that Jesus cursed actually shriveled up and died, right down to the very root. And so he tells Jesus to look, as if Jesus wouldn't know. And Jesus answers him, Verse 22, Jesus answered, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Jesus is not only the redeeming king. He is not only the righteous judge. He is not only the restoring son. He is almighty God. He has divine power. And so he teaches his disciples that in order to access his divine power, the first posture that they need is to believe in him without question, to have faith in God without question. You see, if we've learned anything in the book of Mark, I think it's pretty loud and clear that the disciples are struggling to believe over and over and over again. They see so many miracles, but yet they struggle to believe. They have a growing faith, but they're still struggling. And we see Peter here, in his surprise, we see that he is struggling still to believe. And he's surprised at this withering tree, revealing he didn't fully believe that Christ's curse was going to destroy the tree. 
And of course, Jesus knows this. He knows that Peter and the disciples are weak. And so he prepares his disciples for his coming departure. He knows that they're going to need God's power to be with them as his presence leaves them. And so he points them to faith. He reminds them to remember that they need to have faith in a powerful God, not a weak God. And this will be proven in how they're going to approach prayer. And what they needed was to see a bigger God. They needed to see that God was bigger than Israel, bigger than Jerusalem, and bigger than the temple. So when it comes to prayer, the first thing they needed to believe, without question, is in the almighty power of God. Have faith in God. So let me ask you, when it comes to your walk with Christ and, and this privilege that we have been given in prayer, in your prayers, are you believing without question in Almighty God? Is it evidenced in the way that you pray? You know, if somebody was to, to hear into your private prayer life, would the evidence be in that you believe in a powerful God? So in your own self-examination, just between, in a scale between 1 and 10, 1 being weak, 10 being really powerful, how would you rate your own prayer life? Is it a powerful prayer life? Is prayer one of the most powerful aspects of your faith? Is it your constant go-to? Is it your source of strength? And are you seeing God do powerful things through your prayers? Things that can only be attributed to him. Prayer is the most powerful privilege that we get to be a part of. Do you believe that? Because the power that we need to face the days ahead doesn't come from within us. It comes from without. And it comes from God. And the way we access that prayer or that power is through prayer. So in our modern age, we have uh, this phenomena known as electric cars. I know that's not a real friendly topic here in, in our oil province, but for the sake of an illustration, I think we can put up it. Um, so let's say you go out and you go buy a brand new Tesla or some kind of an electric car. And you decide, well, I want to drive across Canada. Something I want to do. How far do you think you're going to get with one charge? The original charge right from the factory, right from the store where you buy it, how far are you going to get on one charge? Anybody? No? Good answer. <laughs> well, from what I was reading, I think the, the, the top Tesla can go about 600 kilometers before it needs a charge. So as awesome and as efficient as that electric car is, the range of that car is only as good as the level of power in its battery, right? And the power level of the battery is only as good as that original power source that charged it. Your only hope of getting across our great country is by regularly plugging into a power source. And I see Petro-Canada has their own, their own system now. If you have an electric car, you can go right across the country. But you have to regularly charge your car up. 
You're not going to get very far if you don't have access to power. It would be no good for anything. And similarly, Jesus is preparing his disciples for his leaving. His, his very personal presence is going to leave them, but they're going to still need power. Not their power, because they don't have any. We don't have any power. Divine power. It only comes from God. True, supernatural, divine power is only sourced in the only true God. And we have access to that power through prayer. And to access it through prayer, we need to be plugging ourselves into the source on a regular basis. Are we plugging ourselves into the power source on a regular basis? Are we charging ourselves up with God's power through prayer? Just think about your cell phone for a minute. Who loves a fully charged phone? I do. Who panics when their phone is at 5%? Just think about it. How often do you plug your phone in every day? Once, twice? We're always plugging our phones and we need them to be charged up. If not, we're freaking out, right? And we love to have them with full power. When you head out for a day, ah, my phone is full of power. I'm unstoppable. So we ask ourselves, how often are we plugging ourselves into God through prayer? And why aren't we plugging in? When we studied the book of Acts, that early church was constantly plugging themselves into God through prayer. Every time you turn around in the early church and the book of Acts, they are praying powerfully and God is answering powerfully. Thousands of people are getting saved all the time. And they are praying. And God is moving powerfully. So we need to ask ourselves, is prayer my most powerful source of power? Or is prayer my last resort, right? Studies say that prayer is often the weakest part of the Christian life. Studies also say that prayer is often the weakest part of a pastor's life. And so we need to ask ourselves, why? If God gave us such a powerful way to access his divine power, why aren't we accessing it more faithfully and regularly? The issue comes down to faith. If we really believe in who God is, we would be plugging in him all the time. If we really believe that, that all things are under his sovereign control, we would pray all the more. If we really believe that we could do nothing of any good, any spiritual good apart from him, we would be seeking him all the more through prayer. It comes down to faith. This is why Jesus says, have faith in God. Have faith in God. When it comes to living this life, when it comes to walking with the Almighty King, we need to believe Him without question. That's evidenced in how we pray. Have faith in God. Pursue Him all the more through prayer. That's our first posture this morning. Our first posture is that He is Almighty, and we need to believe without question. Now, as Jesus says to have faith in God, he follows this up with, with a command. 
with an application of this statement. If you really believe in God, this is what it's going to look like. Verse 23. Truly. Whenever Jesus says truly, that means listen up. This is really important. He's speaking with divine authority. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. When it comes to powerful prayer, our second posture is that he's always faithful. He's always faithful, and we need to be asking without doubting. Ask without a doubt. If we really have faith in God, we really need to have faith in what he can do. What Jesus is showing us here is that when it comes to our faith, there are no limits to what God can do. Just like we already learned in Mark chapter 10, back in verse 27, remember? All things are possible with God. If these disciples were astonished by a withered tree, their faith is far too small. And so Jesus takes this lesson to the next level. He says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, so from where they're standing, uh, the most likely mountain he's talking about is the Mount of Olives outside of the gate. They would have, it would have been the highest point they would have seen. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. So building off his statement, have faith in God, Having faith in God means that we believe there are no limits to what God can do. As these disciples have been walking with Jesus for three years already, they have been witnessing miracle after miracle after miracle, right? Turning water to wine, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead, feeding thousands, walking on water and in a fig tree, this mountain is no obstacle for Jesus. It's no obstacle for God. We need to remember that Jesus is God, which means he's the creator of the whole universe. Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created in, heavens, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He created it all. John 1.3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Nothing has escaped his creative power. It's all his. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke, and all of this came into existence. He is a powerful God. And so as Jesus commands his disciples and us to have faith in God, we are to have faith in Jesus, faith in the Creator, which means there are no limits to what he can do. When it comes to faith, we don't believe in a little God. We believe in an unlimited God. We believe in a God that has created all, he owns all, he can do anything he wishes with his creation. 
Therefore, when we believe enough to ask him to do something, there is nothing too big for him to handle. Nothing too big. The problem, though, is that our view of God is often too small. Our faith in him is often too weak. We doubt who he is. We doubt what he can do. You see, the problem is not with God. God never changes. He is always powerful. He will always be the most powerful. The problem is with us. We know that. That's why he says to us, whoever, that's anybody. Whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart. We are so full of doubt. But believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. We can't be doubting God in our heart. We need to be believing that there are no limits. Nothing stands in the way of our sovereign creator, powerful God. That means that when we pray, we need to believe, not doubting. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Are your prayers weak? Are you doubting in your prayers? Are your prayers too small? Are they just silent murmurs on your pillow or just whispers in the dark? Or are they big, bold prayers to the sovereign God? If someone, again, overheard your prayers, would they hear about a big God or would they hear about a small God? Are you believing in who he is and what he can do? That's the key. If we really believed in who God is, if we didn't doubt in our hearts and his ability, we should be praying big, bold, believing, dependent, expectant prayers. Trusting that he is going to answer, that he is going to come through. Because whatever we ask in prayer, believe that we have received it and it will be yours. God answers prayer powerfully. There are no limits. Now, as we say that, we need to be careful because many have misunderstood this text and it has led to a lot of false teaching. Within the prosperity gospels, this is a big deal. They would say that God wants all of us to be healthy and wealthy. It's the name it and claim it Gospel, right? You just have to pray, you just have to believe enough, and it is going to come true. They treat God like he's a genie in a bottle, waiting to grant any wish that we desire. They take this speaking to the mountain to mean that all you have to do is believe it and speak it, and God is bound to provide whatever you're asking him. If you want that promotion... If you want success, just speak it into existence and it's yours. If you want to be cancer-free, don't doubt God. God is, God is going to take it away if you have enough faith. I took a quick tour on a prosperity gospel website this week. And I see they've, 
this one ministry has even built an app that helps you speak things into existence. And people are eating it up. They're teaching that God is bound by our faith, bound by our prayers. He can't do anything until we pray it. That's what they believe. If your prayers aren't getting what you want, you don't have enough faith. That's what they're saying. It's not what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus is teaching about a big God who answers prayers. That we need to believe in him. It's not about, it's not so much about him being bound to our faith. It's about us being bound by our own doubt in who he is. Jesus' own brother writes later in James chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. He says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Guys, God is not in the business of providing our every whim. He's not in the business of, of providing every fallen passion of our hearts. He is not bound by our prayers and our faith. Our God is not limited by us. We often are asking wrongly because we're wanting things from our fallen passions. The problem is that our doubt and our unbelief limit our understanding of him. It doesn't limit who he is. Our weak prayers prove that we're believing in a weak God. When it comes to faith, our enemy is doubt. Our enemy is sin. When it comes to prayer, we second-guess that God is really able to answer those prayers. Doubt kills our faith. James would also say in chapter 1, verse 6 to 8, that when it comes to prayer, we need to ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Friends, the power problem is not with God. The problem is that we doubt what he can do. And when we doubt, we are unstable because we're believing in a small God. Jesus wants us to have a big view of who God is. And then that should be revealed in how we pray to him. So, is the God that we are praying to too small? Is he too small to help us with our fears? Is he too small to, to heal our shame? Is he too small to work out our anxiety and, and our depression? Is he too small to conquer our sin? Is he too small to restore our marriages? Is he too small to save our children? Is he too small to provide our needs? Is he too small to build our church? Is he too small to cause a mountain to fall into the sea? No. It's all his. The answer, according to Jesus, is that, that, that God is strong. God is mighty. God is able. The God you're praying to can do anything. We're not to be doubting in him. We should be praying big, bold, expectant prayers. 
because of our big, amazing God. You see, it's not about us. It's about him. As we are often weak, as we are so unable, and as we are doubtful, our God remains unfailing. Always. He's always unlimited. He's always powerful. He is unchanging. And we constantly need him to be working out his power in our lives. The divine power needed for the days ahead can only be accessed through powerful prayer. With this posture of believing without question, asking without a doubt. But then Jesus leaves us with a third posture that we need to take very seriously in verse 25. And it's the posture that he is all forgiving and we need to forgive without limit. He is all forgiving. We need to forgive without limit. Verse 25. Whenever you stand praying, there's that application again. This is all about prayer. House of prayer, praying here. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. The effectiveness of our prayers need faith. And our faith requires forgiveness. As we pray to our all-forgiving God, we need to remember that we also need to forgive others. Jesus says, whenever you stand praying, whenever means what? Whenever, all times, always, as you pray to God. It's an ongoing, everyday thing. Whenever we stand praying, standing was a traditional way of praying in that time. It was the, the regular way of praying. There was bowing, there was kneeling, there was lying prostrate. But standing was your everyday praying to God, that ongoing, whenever praying. Whenever we pray, we are to forgive. According to Jesus, forgiveness is intrinsically related to prayer. They are inseparable. Forgiveness plays a major role in powerful prayer. Forgive. If you have anything against anyone. Again, so anything. What does that mean? Anything. Against anyone. Anything against anyone. Why? So that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Our forgiveness in heaven is connected to our forgiveness of others. And our forgiveness of others affects the power of prayer. It's all interrelated. If we're trying to pray to our all-forgiving Father while holding back our forgiveness to others, what we're revealing is that we really don't understand the magnitude of our forgiveness from God. If we're not regularly choosing to forgive others, it's revealing we don't really understand the forgiving character of God. You see, when we're saved, when we're saved by turning away from our sin 
and, and believing in Christ alone for salvation, we are fully forgiven. We are fully forgiven, past, present, future, sin. It has all been paid for in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a total, complete, full forgiveness. It's not partial. Psalm 103, 8 to 12, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's how much you're forgiven. And as Christians, this forgiveness that God has for us is all summed up in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.7, in Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to what? According to the riches of His grace. This is who He is. He's a God of grace, and grace forgives fully. So the gospel logic, according to Jesus here, is if you have been forgiven by such a gracious and forgiving God, and you want God to be answering your prayers, the proof of your faith will be your heart towards others in forgiveness. Do we have a posture of ongoing forgiveness for others? Always, whenever we pray, anybody. As you're seeking your all-forgiving Father, are you forgiving sinners? Like I said, when we are saved, we are forgiven past, present, future. But as the Christian lives, we're constantly going to the Lord in a posture of forgiveness, even because we're continuing to sin as Christians, we're growing in holiness. But our hearts toward him, Lord, is I know what you have done on the cross for me. I see the magnitude of your forgiveness. I'm going to constantly be going to you. Lord, forgive me, knowing that it's paid for in Jesus Christ. But our unforgiveness affects God's heart towards us in our prayers, the power that we need. Forgiven sinners forgive sinners. And our prayers are affected by our forgiving posture. Colossians 3.13 says that we are to be bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Forgiving others is not a suggestion. It's a command. It's the way that we live life as Christians. Forgiven sinners forgive sinners. As they go to their all-forgiving God in prayer, they, they have to keep on forgiving sinners. They want to forgive sinners. It's not just that they have to. When you truly understand the forgiving nature of God, the magnitude of what has been forgiven of you, you want to forgive others. It's a part of your new creation. It's a part of your new life. It's a part of your new heart. So the question is, is, are we wanting our prayers to be powerfully answered? 
Are we praying big things to our big God? And are we asking for forgiveness from other people? Or are we holding on to bitterness? Are we walking in unforgiveness? Forgiveness is the way of life for the Christian. If we want our prayers to be answered by a powerful God, our hearts need to be bent in forgiveness at all times. How many of you seen just a few weeks ago on, on, on the news or social media, there was a murder trial in Dallas, Texas. A police officer uh, shot a man she thought was in her apartment. It wasn't her apartment. and She killed him. And this police officer by the name of Amber Geiger was convicted of murder of, of this man named Botham Jean. But as she was sentenced, the brother of the victim was on the stand for some final words to her. And instead of being damning and hostile towards her in anger for her murdering his brother, the brother named Brant Jean, shocks the world by offering his forgiveness to her. He tells her, I forgive you, I love you. And he gets off the stand, tells her he loves her, gives her a hug, and tells her that she, he forgives her. And then the judge gets off the stand, grabs a Bible, gives it to the lady, and they pray together. What a picture of forgiveness. Even later, when the father of the victim was interviewed, he said, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. This is forgiveness in action. What a hard situation. This is real. This is forgiveness in action. Friends, forgiven sinners forgive sinners. This is our life. This is what we do, and we love to do it because we've been forgiven so much. Now, when it comes to us, maybe somebody in our life has said something inconsiderate to us in the last week. Maybe it's hurt you and you've been ruminating. It's been ruminating in your mind. You've got to choose to forgive that person. Forgive them. Go to them. Tell them what they've done. But tell them, I'm, I want to forgive you for that. Maybe your spouse has sinned against you. Maybe sinned against your marriage. And you say, you say to them that you've forgiven them, but in your heart, you have not forgiven. You're still bitter. You still don't move those sins away. You still ruminate on it. You need to confess that to God. You need to fully forgive your spouse for sinning against you. Maybe you've suffered abuse or trauma in your life at some point. And you're working through the pain. You're working through the shame. But when it gets to that point of choosing to fully forgive someone, you stop short. Today's the day to forgive them fully. 
Forgive them fully as you have been forgiven. We all struggle to forgive in many ways, many ways I haven't even mentioned. But as we understand the depths of our sin against a holy God and how we don't deserve His forgiveness, but then we understand His grace and His mercy towards us to fully forgive and how He chooses to remember our sins no more, how can we withhold forgiveness from others? How can we withhold it? How can we harbor these things in our hearts? Nobody's saying it's easy. It's hard. That's why you get the power of Jesus Christ in you to give you the strength to do that. Whenever we pray, forgive. So it's an ongoing deal. This is our new life. This is our new heart. This is our part of being born again. This is a posture that we need to take in the power of the Spirit. Forgive. Forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. That means no grudges, no bitterness, just forgiveness. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, Whenever I see myself before God and realize something of what my blessed Lord has done for me at Calvary on the cross, I am ready to forgive anybody anything. I cannot withhold it. As a disciple's, are going to witness in just a matter of days. They're going to see Jesus dying and bleeding on a Roman cross for the forgiveness of the world. And the forgiveness that they're going to have to have is going to only come from him. Forgiveness is on full display as Jesus spreads his arms out on a cross, absorbing the wrath of God for you, dying. And as they continue to walk after Jesus rises from the grave, and then as he ascends to heaven, they're going to need his divine power all the more. We need his divine power all the more. Power for every step, power for every word, power for every prayer. They're going to need to constantly focus their eyes back on that cross and remember the words of Jesus whenever you pray, forgive. Because look what I've done for you. The divine power needed for the days ahead can only be accessed through powerful prayer. When we have a posture of believing without question, asking without a doubt, and forgiving without limit.